The following was recorded live as part of Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, so this is our last interview for the day. For the next hour, we're going to be speaking with Mary Emma Willis, talking about learning styles, the key to confidence and success. Uh, my name is Rebecca Kokener, Koken, you know my own name at this stage, <laughs> Kokenderfer. I'm the senior editor and co-founder of homeschool.com, and I'm your host for these calls. Uh, let's learn a little bit more about um, Mary Emma. Uh, Mary Emma Willis was born and grew up in Southern California. She holds a master's degree in education and California life teaching credentials for regular and special education. Um, Mary Emma is the person really on learning styles. Uh, at homeschool.com, we tend to send people to Mary Emma and also to howtolearn.com. So we asked uh, Mary Emma to be here today because she's the author of Discover Your Child's Learning Style, A Midlife Crisis Begins in Kindergarten, A Self-Portrait Online Learning Style Profile, and a learning success writing and spelling programs. I used um, Mary Emma's learning style profile with my uh, three children and then my husband and I, and I found, and then I used her uh, individual counseling afterwards to help me understand the learning profile and to solve some uh, learning challenges that I've been having, like with my son's spelling. And I found it to be extremely valuable, and I thought you re- might really like to uh, hear from Mary Emma and ask her your own questions, too, at the end of the call. So, Mary Emma, thank you very, very much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Now, the name of your website, I know people are taking notes, it's learningsuccesscoach.com. Right. Now, we'll talk some more at the end of the call about um, you know what products and resources you recommend, and uh, feel free to recommend them doing your talk as well and sending us off to other websites because we'll, uh, we'll write down the notes. Oh, let's, sure. Yeah, let's jump right in, though. And why is learning style information so important? Well, you know, here's what's going on. And, and, you know, one of our little books is called Midlife Crisis Begins in Kindergarten because it sounds funny, but it's really true. There are hundreds of thousands of kids in school every day, and I include homeschooling here, um, who grow up believing they are not smart or that they have a learning problem, or that they are just average, which to me is the biggest tragedy of all, to think that you are just average. And they grow up to be adults who think they're not very smart and can't do very much. And there's no reason for it, except that we try to teach every single person in the same exact way, giving them the same stuff at the same age level and all of that, when every single person is completely different and they need to learn according to their own learning styles. So we can prevent all of this if we would just look at their learning styles and say, how do you learn? Usually at homeschool.com, we advise people to start there. You know, start oh, by identifying great. your child's learning, um, learning yeah. style. We also interviewed uh, yesterday David Lazier, who was talking about the eight different kinds of smart. And he, mm-hmm. has, um, he has a profile on his site as well, davidlazier.com, L-A-Z-E-A-R.com. That was David Lazier. And that, which is very helpful too, and you can purchase the recording of his interview. So you're right. So if our child is uh, an auditory learner or a kinesthetic learner, and they're in a classroom which is primarily visual, then they start thinking of themselves as a mediocre or not very smart. That's correct. And it's it just makes common sense. I mean, if you're going to build anything or 
even sewing or, or if it is a house, you're always going to have a blueprint or a pattern or a recipe for whatever you're doing. And it just makes sense to have a blueprint of how your child learns before you start teaching. But we are so programmed, um, you know, with the school system in our brain because that's, you know, we went to school and that, that's all we know. That's right. That One even size fits all education. Yeah, and we're teaching at home and we want to do something different or better, but we're not quite sure what and we just keep getting back stuck into that cycle of, of the, you know, regular education. So how, how do I find out about my child's learning style? Well, the first thing is you can just observe. I mean, there are a lot of parents out there that kind of do this naturally. And if you're a good observer, you will figure out, oh, my gosh, this child learns better when he's jumping up and down or when she's drawing pictures. There are just so many clues. The thing is to to realize, oh, that is a clue for me, and yeah. I can use that information. But most people are not confident about doing that. And so, as you even mentioned, there are um, lots of uh, profiles out there, lots of assessments. Um, we developed our own, my partner Victoria and I, developed our own in 1988 because we just thought that we could come up with something that was very user-friendly and that had um, lots of aspects of learning style in the one place because when you start looking around you see that one assessment might do talents and one assessment might do modality and one might do personality style. It was very confusing. So we put together our own experiences and what we have learned from you know all of the teachers before us and felt like we were putting together the best of everything into one profile. Well, I liked it, too, because it was a self-evaluation. So it was asking my children, you know, where do you learn best? What are your favorite subjects? You know, do you learn best when you're listening to books? Do you learn best when you're using a workbook? So I thought that was very nice because it wasn't like they were having a label planted on them. Instead, the Yeah, instead it was... um, a tool for self-analysis and getting to know themselves better. Absolutely, and they love it. I just had one mom say the other day, when my kids finished your profiles, they were they felt so happy. It was like it was all about them, you know. And somebody's actually asking them. Well, what sometimes do you, think you feel about like this? you feel like, well, what's wrong with me? Everybody else loves workbooks, and I really love mm-hmm. listening to audiobooks. Does it count? You know, does it count as reading if I like to right. listen to Harry Potter instead of reading it? <laughs> Right. Yeah, or well, well, what's wrong with me? Counts. Yeah, or what's wrong with me? I seem to learn better when I'm pacing back and forth. Yes. It, yes, I think it just kind of kind of sets you free. Hey, let's let's go back to the question before this cuz you're talking about observing. Observation is such a powerful mm-hmm, tool. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things to look out in our children to identify uh, their most dominant learning style? Well, and actually, I wouldn't say the most dominant because they're, um, most people are combinations. And sometimes one works better for one skill or subject. For instance, um, you might be more picture learner for math, maybe, and perhaps you're more auditory for history. So what you want to do is just look for clues. Now, little kids, we really kind of notice little kids when they're three and four years old, two, three, four years old, we're going, oh, my gosh, look how smart. You know, he saw that once and he remembers it. And then you might say, oh, but his sister, she's got to hear it or she's got to sing it. If she sings it, she remembers it forever. These are the kinds of things I'm talking about, to really pay attention. And it, 
And not that it's just cute because they're little, oh, look how cute and look how smart, but you got to go, wait a minute, this means when they're a little older and we're doing formal school or more formal school, these things work the same way. It's not like, oh, okay, now you're five or now you're six, forget all that and let's get on to, you know, reading and, and writing in the workbook. We can't forget about all those things. So the, it's those observations that kind of make sense. Like you said, oh, my gosh, when she hears a song, she remembers it. Yeah. Or he remembers everything he reads. Or look at him, he really likes to touch everything. Right. It's all of those kinds of observations. Now, they I really thought that when somebody was an auditory learner, they were, in an, they were an auditory learner for all subjects, and that's not the case? No, it's not. Oh, gosh, please talk some more about that. Absolutely not, because... Um, well, I'll use that example again. For instance, you might be very auditory for informational kinds of things. So, you know, you've, you've got to hear the book on tape or watch the movie because you need to hear the dialogue. Um, for things like perhaps history or science, things that are facts and information and concepts of that sort. But perhaps for something abstract like math, and this could be for reading as well, because really letters are abstract symbols. You might be a picture learner for that and need pictures. You might even have to draw out your little math word problem in order to understand it. These are all simple things to do, but most people don't realize to even, you know, encourage it in the child or suggest it because it's so foreign to us. We never saw that in our own experience you know, when we were in school. So the pictures might be the deal for some skills. And by the way, I talk about skills and subjects. You're going to notice that um, skills are things like reading, writing, math, um, spelling, and subjects are things like history, science, literature. There is a big difference. But in the school system, and even in homeschool, because we tend to use the same textbooks and stuff, they're all in the same category. We grade everything. And skills, you know, you, when you think about it, do we grade kids on riding a bike? Ah. Do we say, oh, well, today you got a C in bike riding. If you really, really, you know, practice, maybe tomorrow you'll get a B. Or you got an F in bike riding. You can't even stay on it. You're falling off. <laughs> it's it's absurd because it you know we kind of naturally know it has to do with their developmental um, you know stage where they are developmentally, where they are emotionally with it. Are they ready for this? Well, guess what, everyone? It's the same with skills like reading, writing, spelling. Math, we have no business putting grades on those things. Ah, so those but are skills that children acquire, and they tend to be developmental. Yes, definitely, and, and kids, you know, develop those things at different ages, just like walking, talking, all of those things, tying shoes. You know, not everyone does it at the exact same age. And you don't force a child to ride a bike before they're ready, because we oh, all know right. it's disastrous. It's not we possible. We just know that right. won't work, but we force kids to read. That's true. And, and then we have a learning problem. Or and we then label we, them as slow if they haven't read. And then read. we label them. That's right. Or, and we then get, if, or we get scared and we think that we've mm -hmm. done something wrong or we may have mm -hmm. a child with a learning disability. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
Well, let's talk, Mary Emma. What are the different uh, learning styles? Now, another word for learning style is disposition. Um, well, in our system, a learning style covers five different aspects. One is disposition. Oh. So, yeah, so one disposition is like your personality, your learning personality. Another part of learning style is modality. Now, that's the one that most people think of when you yeah. say learning style. Most people say, oh, yeah, are you visual or are you auditory or are you tactile? So that's modality. And I want to say here, too, that um, there's more to modality besides just auditory, visual, and tactile because there are differences there as well. You could be auditory listening or auditory verbal. Now, I'll come back to these in a few minutes and explain them more. You could be visual print or visual picture. You could be tactile hands-on, whole body, sketching, or tactile writing. So when we're assessing our child's learning style, we're looking at, one, their personality, two, uh their modality. Their modality, how they take in information the best. Um, we want to look at their talents, those things that they were born with that they're just naturally good at, uh-huh. gifted at. And we want to look at their interests. That's a really huge one because interests are what, what drive you, what give you your passion and motivation. And then the fifth thing is the environment. And the environment has to do with things like sound, you know, noise, quiet, whether you're standing up, sitting down, lying down position, if it's hot or cold, if you need food, snacks, um, things like that or environment. Or where you study best. Right. Okay, so in other words, so it sounds, at first it sounds complicated, but it really is just common sense. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yes. So, of course, your, your personality is going to affect everything, whether you get mm-hmm. your energy by set, being by yourself or with a small group or a larger group. You're, like you said, the modality in certain settings, certain subjects, whether it's um, auditory or visual or, or by touch. Your talents, you know, do you have a talent for music, for talent, uh, for dancing, for writing? Uh, your interests, like you said, that drives everything else because if you, if you have a strong enough interest, then you can overcome any obstacle. And Definitely. then the environment, you know, where you do your best uh, learning or thinking or studying. Right. I, I, I love this. This is excellent. Keep keep telling us more, please. Now you said that these are are these the dispositions? No, these are the five aspects of style. There, dispositions is number one. Then there's modality, environment, interests, and talents. Now, this, ah. if we want to talk about dispositions themselves, there are five in our system. Five different kinds of learning personalities. Okay, so and the word dispositions is kind of the same as personality. Yeah, that, that's if you know that's kind of a clue for people to hang on to to, yes. to just remember what that means. So you can be a performing style, which is the one that you know many of you out there will recognize. This one, this is the one that needs to move. Needs to move. Often likes adventure, a little risk taking. Um, they don't like to stay with one thing too long. <laughs> They need to go from one thing to the next. Hands-on stuff is usually very important. Now, you'll you'll see, too, as I'm talking, that sometimes there are things from the other aspects that will tie in, like I just said, hands-on. Well, performing um, personalities very, very often are the best with a hands-on modality. So we'll, we'll get to see some ways that things 
tie together here. And so that's anyway, person, that's, that's a person who likes change too. And you're right, probably a yes. lot of the um, the moms and dads who choose homeschooling probably will fit into this, have this type of personality because that's the profile that normally a teacher would have. Well, actually, this is not normally the profile the teacher would have. No, okay. This is normally the profile that an entrepreneur would have or a sports person or even a politician. These are people that are out there. They want the audience of some sort. Um, now, producing, that is the one that most teachers are producing. The producing person is the one that's logical and practical, and they like to have things in order. That's the person who has the six-year planner instead of, you know, barely having one, one page filled out. They do the lists, and they like workbooks, and they do well with workbooks. They like to follow the rules, plan ahead, you know, the structure. Yeah. Now, if you get a producing mom with a performing kid... There's a big clash. And here is where the labels again start coming in. Um, performing kids are very often labeled hyperactive. Because they're the ones that need to move. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that, if in a, say in a regular classroom, they're the ones who keep getting up to sharpen their pencils. Because it's sort of legitimate. <laughs> they try to get away with it because they have to get up. Um, the, the ones per- who are given Ritalin to keep them sitting still. The many of them are, yes. And the producing people are the ones that usually do well in school. There are a couple other parts of the profile that they need to have. It's kind of like a little magic formula. But if you're producing, you have a big running start because all of school is set up for producing people. Ah. The schedule, you know, keeping the time, keeping a plan getting organized. Now, I'm not saying that people don't need these skills, but there's a way of helping people develop. Oops, are we here? Yes. Okay. There's a way of having kids and adults develop them when they are not naturally producing. You know what? I should have had you disable your call waiting, Mary Emma. That's what that is. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it makes a beep. But keep going, and if, if there are too many, then we'll have you go back out and then disable it and come back in. Okay. So, but we missed it. You were talking about, you know, the different personalities. First, identifying yeah. your child's personality. And we have, like, the performer, and now we have the producer, who tends to do um, very well in school because that right. setting is set up for the producer. Definitely. And then we have the inventing person. This is kind of like the Einstein-Edison person. Um, they ask lots of questions. They need lots of time to just experiment and discover things. And labs and field trips and little learning centers are for these kids. And these are the ones who very often, like at two, you know, you hear, well, he's only two and he's already, you know, building with Legos or and taking the, the phone radio. apart and putting it Yeah, back. taking things apart, <laughs> putting them back together. Ask tons of questions, often sounding like they're not related to what you're talking about. So if you're at home and you're doing a little lesson and they ask some off-the-wall question, in your mind it's off-the-wall, but in their minds it's connected somehow. And I encourage parents to question that. Oh, that's really interesting. How did you come up with that? Because normally what we tend to say is, you're not paying attention. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh Uh-huh. 
So we need to explore that. It has a lot to do because these kids learn by making those kinds of connections. And then we have the relating, inspiring um, person who does better when they're working with other people. Um, they love uh, having... Well, this is the, the one that wants cooperation. The performing people, the very first one I mentioned, many of them are into competition, fun competition. But the relating people, they don't like competition at all because it's like we need to all be friends and everyone has to come out okay. We all want to come out on top. We're going to all work together <laughs> and help each other. Sounds very familiar. Yeah, so they're very caring. They like things personalized, and they want a harmonious atmosphere. Talking and discussing and working together is, uh, is very valuable to these kids. And then the thinking creating, that's the very last one on this list, and Thinking creating people um, often are the artists, the musicians, the philosophers, the poets. They can be writers. Um, they're very extremely creative, and they're very much in their heads. And whereas the inventing style asks a lot of questions, the thinking creating person is doing a lot of mulling over inside. And these are the kids who are very often labeled ADD. This is the classic ADD, and if you happen to be a combination of thinking, creating, and performing, your label is probably going to be ADHD, mm. which means the attention deficit along with the hyperactivity. Because, see, here's what happens. Thinking, creating people are listening to you talk, let's say, about, um, let's say about Egypt, okay? And you're just talking about Egypt, and you mentioned the pyramids, and... And the thinking, creating person is off thinking all these things. I'll t in a minute. I'll tell you what they might be thinking, and then you might say, "Are you listening to me? What did I just say?" Well, of course they don't know the last thing you said, mm -hmm. but that person might say, "Well, I was just thinking about jewelry." Okay, well, <laughs> that's not too good in the parents mind or the teachers mind because we're talking about Egypt but just it's kind of similar to the inventing style if you acknowledge that and said wow that's pretty interesting now you have two choices you could say um can you hold that thought until we finish this part and then we'll come back to it or you could say why don't you tell me how did you come up with that well here's some of the thought that might be going on okay Egypt pyramids pyramids and oh yeah and they used to you know bury people with their stuff and oh my gosh i wonder if there's jewelry in there i heard about that and <laughs> what kinds of jewelry did they have anyway in those days and see how it goes on yes fact, it's not I, like oh when, when not i took the profile yeah go ahead oh uh, we're just overlapping each other uh, are you on a right. cell are you on a cell phone mariama no, I'm on, I'm on a regular phone. Okay, you know, it must be that we have um, several hundred people on the call. So that's all it is, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Okay. But uh, when I took the profile for my own three children, I discovered that I had like a, a think, thinker creator and an uh -huh. inventor and a producer. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. um, one of the reasons I found your profile so helpful was, for example, my youngest daughter, who's the producer, really um, needs structure and likes structure. 
Yes. And then my uh, thinker-creator child uh, needs to have kind of more uh, time alone to kind of think and mull things over. Right. Yes. So that's why I want to keep bringing it back to the applicable because this learning um, profile is designed to be applicable, learning about our child so that we can help them uh, be a better learner. Absolutely. And you can see how, you know, they actually were listening in this example that I just used. It's not they weren't. It's that that was the jumping-off point to continue their ideas so we need to um factor that in and and understand that part because there's nothing that will turn off a child more than to say you weren't listening so on your learning style assessment the first thing you do is you kind of uh, evaluate and identify what their disposition their personality is Mm -hmm. what's the next thing that you look at we look at their disposition. We look at their modality. Ah, okay. Now we're which, talking modality, which is what a lot right. of us think of as learning style. Right. So we're looking at are you visual, auditory, tactile, and as I said before, there are several, uh, you know, like there's verbal. Let me give you an example. There's auditory, verbal, and auditory listening. Okay, well, we understand auditory listening. They get it better when they can hear it. But you don't hear auditory verbal, and that means they have to say it themselves. These are people who need to talk it out, repeat it, or read out loud. And we often have the case of the child that comes and they say, I don't know what this means. You know, they they might have a little um, worksheet that gives um, instructions or anything that they're reading. I don't get this. I don't get this. And you say, well, read it. What do you mean you don't get it? So they read it out loud, and they go, oh, I get it. Yeah. But nobody's realizing it's because they read it out loud. So you think, oh, you know, she's acting up, or she just wants to bounce up and down and come and talk to me. If we would just say, read it out loud to yourself. <laughs> so really, she needed to hear it. She needed to hear herself talk it, yes. That, that was my experience when I was in college. I was having a hard time with chemistry, and so finally I started reading the textbook aloud and then making mm-hmm. myself summarize each paragraph aloud. And then I and was able see, to get it. You figured that out. But why don't we just teach our children from the beginning about how they learn so that they will be empowered to use these strategies and not feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? i got to read this out loud or i got to figure something out. No, it's all good stuff. It's just, you know, what works for you. I, I was beautifully put. It's all good. It's just a matter of what works best for you. Right. So keep telling us some more about the modalities, please. It's fascinating. Okay. Well, the sketching learner, you don't hear about that either. That's the tactile kinesthetic sketching type, which means they need to doodle and draw. And this is another child that often gets in trouble, both in the classroom and in the home school, because you're talking or you've told them to do something, and there they are doodling. Mm-hmm. And, of course, isn't that a waste of time? usually is what we're thinking. They're just sitting there doing nothing. But that is this valuable, valuable thing that kids who are sketching learners need to do. As they're doodling, they can process better auditory information, sometimes even what they're reading, because as they're reading, they're doodling next to the pages or on a piece of paper or something. We always encourage the students we work with, if they're this type of learner, to doodle and even take picture notes. If you're listening to something, learn how to take picture notes if you're a sketcher because it just is amazing what they will remember and what they will process. Are they drawing they pictures or are they doing the mapping where maybe they, 
they uh, put the central circle in the middle, they put the main idea, and then they put either the one, list. either or both. Um, and it depends again on the learner and even whether what subject it is or what skill they're doing. I mentioned before about math learn uh, word problems. You know those that so many adults even still complain about when I had to do you know <laughs> word yeah. problems. Um, picture learners and sketching learners can actually draw those out and you don't even have to be a good you know artist or anything just little stick figures will do it if you're this kind of a learner so you know when it says oh there were 30 kids and we had um we have to get books for them and each box has five books and how many boxes will we get, that kind of stuff yeah so they draw the <laughs> so they, they draw, draw the it stick out they draw the little boxes. sticks for 30 kids and they draw the boxes and each one's got five books and pretty soon they're starting to see oh that's what that means that's what that means and then they can internalize it later but they've got the strategy there that will always work for them and it's so simple you know this you know? modality is important even adult lives my husband and I were first married you know, we'd be um, sitting up in bed at night, and I would come to him with all my great ideas, and he'd say, oh, I, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't get it. And so I yeah. would have to put it in bullet, you know, little yeah. lines, little bullet things. And then he, he had to read it and see it in simplified bullet form to understand uh-huh. my big picture. There you go. I yeah, mean, every, everywhere you go, this is useful for your whole life, not just for when you're in school. It is. It's a communication tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do we do on the job anyway? You know, companies, corporations, they value people who can put things in those sorts of charts and graphs and picture formats and bullet points. And Because we know, and by the way, I should throw this in right here, um, 50 to 60% of the population are tactile kinesthetic learners. No kidding. Even though our schools teach as a visual learner? That's right. And another 20% are Picture learners, not print learners, picture learners. Oh, no wonder we have such a high failure rate. That's right, and that's been known forever. This is not our statistic. The Duns did study after study after study about this. Why is it that the schools can't switch over to a more hands-on approach? Is it, is it crowd control issues because you have one teacher at either 20, 30, or 40 students? You know what? When you are teaching kids with their own learning style, you could have 50 kids in there and everything would be controlled. People just don't get it because all their needs will be being met. But here's the thing. We still look at tactile strategies and picture strategies as a special ed need. In other words, teachers and administration, they will even go so far sometimes as to, to, to try to identify modality. But if in that identification it comes up that that student is a picture learner or a tactile hands-on learner. Yes. Well, that tells you right there. They're they get special labeled. ed kids. That <laughs> means they're deficient. There's something that's a special need instead of going, oh, my gosh, 50 to 60% of the population. That's what they are. Plus, it's so ridiculous because almost all children are tactile learners. And when they science, start out, when they start out, and and mm-hmm. science is always best learned by you know experimentation right. and by using projects. Yes, I know, but it's just <laughs> it's kind of like oh yeah, kindergarten will let you get away with it even there, but once you're in first grade, you're big now. You don't need hands on anymore, and you don't need pictures anymore. We're into reading and the real stuff. So now, fortunately, we're homeschooling, so we don't have to label our children, and we can create this customized learning environment for each of yes. our children. 
if you can let go of those ideas and, and be confident about what you're doing, you can go forward. And that was one of the reasons we wrote the book, Discover Your Child's Learning Style, to get out there in the public and the parents' hands. Is even if you're not homeschooling, parents can still develop the confidence to help their kids at home. But definitely if you're homeschooling, you can do anything. I mean, you are just so fortunate. Well, of course, though, we still have to train our children to do well in this visual world because the tests are on visual. Well, now, see, again, let's um, talk about visual because there's visual print and visual picture. So I guess the tests that are visual print. That's right. The tests are in print format. Visual picture means you actually need pictures. And this has a, um, a lot to do with reading programs as well because kids who don't uh, read when they're 5, 6, 7, 8... Some of it is developmental. Some of it is that they are not print learners. And we're forcing them to learn to read and spell as if they were print learners. So what do we do then? Do we uh, identify and acknowledge our child's uh, learning style, help them take in the information that way, but then help them practice translating it so that they can do well on this visual print test? All right. And you do that in steps. You don't need to have it done by the time they're 8 or 9 or even 10. You really go with their developmental stage. There are so many students we've worked with where we'll say, okay, no reading for now. No, no reading. You don't have to write. And I know that sounds really scary because we're programmed to think that, you know, second grade, third grade, well, they better be reading by then. They don't need to be. And if we leave them alone and if we teach them all of these strategies and if we bring out their interests and talents, they are going to read. Now, you might need to introduce at some point some backup um, reading programs that use picture and tactile strategies, but you need to wait till they're ready and have faith in the process that it will work. Well, would you mind going over the modalities just one more time quickly for people who are taking notes? Sure. There's the auditory, and the two types are verbal and listening. There's the um, visual. Actually, let me clarify that too, Mary Emma. So in the auditory, there's the person who learns best by speaking and the one who learns best by hearing. Yes, speaking okay. it out, right. Okay. Um, verbal meaning they have to hear themselves speak. Yes. And then we have the visual. The two types are picture and print. And at school, it's, the focus is on print. Um, in the in the auditory in in regular school, I'm I keep going back to regular school because so many homeschoolers um, are really doing that, and I want them to get rid of you know that idea in their mind. So if you're doing a regular traditional textbook program, then you're mostly doing auditory listening. You're doing visual print, and even at home, and, if we're if we're giving the instructions and teaching the material by right. talking, and then we're having them. A worksheet Read. or a workbook. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Read. In other words, we're using the same thing at the school. Yeah, right. So it's, Plus, it's uh, homeschoolers take big group yeah. classes, too. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so visual print, visual picture, and then the, the tactile kinesthetic group has hands-on, which is, you know, just taking things apart, feeling them, touching, doing, building. There's whole body. Whole body literally means you need to have it in your whole body. You need to walk the map or um, jump up and down while you're memorizing your math facts or do jump rope or something like that. You need to go to the field trip. 
So it's the big body movement. And um, then there's, I forgot what I said. <laughs> Hands-on, whole body, oh, sketching. Sketching is the one where you're drawing pictures or doodling that I talked about before. And then the last one is the the tactile kinesthetic writing learner. That's related to the print learner for visual. It means they learn by writing. So, you know, I was one of these. I was the perfect A student, by the way. I had the magic formula. I was producing in the dispositions. I'm auditory listening. I'm visual print. And I'm tactile writing. The tactile writing is that you, when you write, you remember things. So if I took notes in writing, when I write down a word or I write down a list, I can remember all the words. You're the ones who writes down the directions. You leave the directions at home, but you're okay yeah. because you've written it and yeah. you remember it. because I can see that. <laughs> but see, it's the, it's the print writing learner. Now, I do want to get this in for all the people who are worried about spelling, if, if that's okay with you, because I yes, have please. a trick here. Spelling is a weird thing. Spelling in our language, we all know it's weird. And there are many parents out there who are not good at spelling, and so they're not confident about it either. First of all, it has nothing to do with you. You are either born a, a speller or you're not. If you are an auditory language writing type person, you will get spelling. And it, if you're not, you won't. At least you won't the way it's traditionally taught. Because a spelling workbook will do nothing for a non-print learner. And kids who are print learners, you, I know you can identify them. They just know how to spell. Mm -hmm. you, they just spell. You, you hear a word, you look at it, okay, it's weird, but you've got it for the rest of your life. My nine-year-old daughter's better speller always has been than her older yeah. brother and sister. So they, you just are. So if you're not a print learner, you can still learn to be a pretty good speller if you have the right technique. And one of the techniques that we've found that works for almost every non-print learner is picture cues. So I'm going to give you an example. Everybody will have to kind of picture this because I can't show it to you. But think of the word friend. Now, we most people on the line will, will realize there is a letter in there that doesn't make sense. Friend, if you were going to spell it phonetically how it sounds, would be F-R-E-N-D. Well, there's an I. Who knows why? It's just there. Well, people who are not good spellers often know there's something weird about this word. They might even remember there's an I and an E, but they won't remember the order of it. Is it E-I or is it I-E? Because the rule's always broken and whatever. So they need a picture cue. And Everybody can make their own, but I'm going to give you an example to get you started. So, for instance, you would first say, write this word, write friend. Okay, so they write it, and then you say, okay, you got, let's say the child wrote F-R-E-N-D. Always acknowledge what they got. So it's, i got to count F-R-E-N-D. Okay, you got five out of the six letters correct. We don't do that. Most people who have trouble spelling are often off only by one or two letters. Or they have all the letters there, but they're, you know, in a, in a different order. So we have to let them know how many they got right. 
And not only is that tracking successes, which is part of our learning success system, you always learn better when you track successes than if you say you got six wrong. Um, but it's also letting them know some useful information. Okay, I got five letters, I'm only off one. That can't be very hard. So now you say, which ones are you always really sure about? Well, most kids are always sure about F and R. So you put F and R maybe in regular pen or pencil. And is there anything else? Well, I pretty much know the N and the D. Let's just say that they do. Okay, we'll put that at the end. Now, these two are giving you trouble. So here's just one way of doing it. You would make the eye really big, different color, uh, maybe put a face on the top and hands and arms. Just make it look really ridiculous and silly. The sillier, the better. And then you might even stick the E. You might make a big E, but stick it with the N and the D so that it says end. And then you could say, I am a friend to the end. So you make up these little clues, and for kids who are picture learners, they will get it immediately, and they will start making their own. Now, you might have to guide them a little bit at the beginning, because you do have to let them know how to spell the word correctly. You have to show them the correct spelling, and anything goes. It doesn't matter how they move the letters, you know, put, put, they might put, some kids put FR and I together for some reason, and that helps them remember the I. Or they give the I a name, Aunt Ida, or whatever. It doesn't have to work for you. It just has to work for the person who's learning it. So if you're out there and you're a parent who also doesn't spell well, you might try this for yourself and well, see excellent. how it works. Thank you, Mary Emma. Yeah. Uh, now, what, sure. about, what about children with learning problems like dyslexia or ADD? Can knowing their learning styles help them, too? Well, absolutely, and by the way, I, my background is in special education, as you said. I have a special ed credential. I have um, a master's in special education, and I have not used these terms for over 15 years because I find them not useful and actually not even accurate about 99% of the time. These are medical labels that we have no business throwing out to our kids. Most kids that are labeled dyslexic are actually picture learners. If you knew they were picture learners and you did something different or you held off on reading without forcing the print, you would never see the dyslexia. I've done this over and over and over for kids who've been diagnosed, and it works every time. And the ADD, those are the inventing and or thinking creating kids, and as I said before, if they're also um, part performing, if there's a combination, then they're labeled ADHD. All of these labels don't need to be there. It is like one in a million that actually has the medical condition called ADD, you know, for which you would really need to get the, a chemical balance going or as a last resort medication. In fact, uh, this Thursday at 11 o'clock, we're speaking with Dr. Frank Barnhill and Pat Wyman about expert tips to help your active or ADHD child. And he's Great. a med medical doctor. I've heard him speak before. It's really terrific. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, uh, Mary Emma, how do you feel about our current testing and grading system? Well, again, that is something that if we could just drop it, it would <laughs> be wonderful because 
I know as an A student all through school, I got all A's because I was good at print and writing, and I could memorize, and I got A's in everything, even the stuff I knew nothing about. Uh, and some people can identify with that. I, I really don't understand science. It needed to be taught to me in a different way. But I knew how to memorize. I could answer the questions, and it looked like I was brilliant. And I recognized this very early on. And yet, we have students, our most brilliant students, this is the tragedy, are the inventing, thinking, creating, hands-on students. They are the potential Einsteins and Edisons and Marie Curies and our most, even the ones we consider geniuses. Our kids are sitting there in homeschool and in classrooms, and we don't know it because we're not identifying these things. And they're not the good test takers because we're giving the tests, you know, in, uh, in print, and we're not helping them learn strategies through their learning styles to do that. That was going to be my next question for you, Mariana. Are we, are we coddling them if we teach only to their learning styles? How are they going to be able to function in the, quote, real world? This is what's so wonderful. The more you work with people in their learning style, the better equipped they are to work in the real, uh, to live and, and survive in the real world and work in the real world. Because first of all, they have confidence. They know what they're good at. They know what they can do. And in fact, they usually start thinking, wow, there's almost nothing that I can't, you know, do if I put my mind to it. So that's number one. Number two is, when people feel good about themselves and are sort of centered in, you know, their their own style and what they can do, they start reaching out. Pretty soon, kids who never wanted to do something or other, I have so many kids who, for instance, hated math, and suddenly because we backed off for a while and we really uh, had them do learning style things and work in their interests, all of a sudden they're going, well, can I do that? Oh, I thought you didn't like that. Yeah, but can I try it? I, I think I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. And they start asking for it. Because when you feel confident, then you're more apt to go, oh, well, maybe I can do that now. Maybe I can do that now. They're more resilient. And the third thing is they, they will actually learn strategies to survive in those places where, you know, for instance, it, if, it, if there is print stuff going on, they can go, okay, yeah, I have to translate it this way and do this, and I can do it. That's so they'll be well, well equipped, as opposed to leaving um, their school lives thinking, oh, I'm not very smart. Well, what am I going to do when I get in there? You know, I don't write very well. My spelling's poor and all those things that keep you back. I really, I really like the strategies. That's what I um, got the most out of when I spoke with your consultant who helped me evaluate yeah. the children's learning style profile is that she was giving me uh, strategies for helping them you know, translate their skills. Right, right. That's what's so wonderful. <laughs> and, and we're going to talk more about that, about the, um, the profile and the consulting. But I want to ask you, too, can you give us an example of what a customized homeschooling plan, a customized school plan would be? Oh, sure. And this is so much fun. I'll give you examples of some kids that have done real things. For instance, I have... Um, little girls often like and big girls teenage girls um that maybe are into fashion we've done history of fashion and so then what happens let's say it's american the year for american history well 
they do fashion throughout American history. And they bring in language arts through that. They're doing literature through that. Um, if they're art- artistic, they might do a scrapbook and show all of the fashions throughout history. Um, everything can be geared around fashion. And because they love the subject, they really, really learn it. I had one girl ask if she could go- do uh, world history through the Olympics. Oh, my gosh, you should have seen the book she made. It was amazing, and she learned all about the politics in the different time periods. She, you know, she started with ancient Greece, of course, <laughs> for the Olympics, and um, just learned, 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 and retained. And this book is beautiful. It will be something that she'll have forever. I have kids who love, um, you know, watching war movies, so we do history um, of the war uh, or history through um Wars, and they might watch movies or listen to books on tape. Um, kids who love horses, you can do the history of a horse, and again bring in science, um, medical stuff about the horse, anatomy, all of those things. Um, literature can be geared around the horse. In fact, beautiful feet, um, beautifulfeet.com. I'm pretty sure they have um, a whole program called History of the Horse. They also have a history of science, which is a little bit different, and it's a great program. They have they have a lot of really nice things that you might check out. You're really so, tying. You're tying. It's not just about their modality. You're tying in their interest and their talent. That's right. Or drawing, it. or their interest in the Olympics, or their interest in horses. Yeah. So I'm hoping that these examples will show you how you would pull it all together, pull all of their learning style information together to integrate it into, um, you know, a great program, great customized program. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left. Before we open up the call to questions, what, in your opinion, is the most important message that you want to leave everyone with today? Well, I would like to say to everybody, teach your kids about how they learn. This is the most valuable thing you can do because they will have that forever in a way, it's like, who cares if they memorize the states and capitals? But if they know how they learn, and if they're confident, that's the thing that will give them the spark, that will ignite them, that will send them off thinking, wow, I have a place in the world. I'm going, you know, for after my path of the thing that I really love to do. And they'll just take off and they'll shine. We say, you know, bring out the stars in every single child. Well, where can we go, Mariama, to find this Learning Styles profile? You can go to our website, learningsuccessinstitute.com or learningsuccesscoach.com, whichever one is easier for you to remember. So it's learningsuccessinstitute.com or learningsuccesscoach.com. Right, and you'll see the information about our... On, we have an online profile... You can, that's the one that you were talking about, Rebecca. It scores itself. And, you know, the results are immediate. You can print them all out, and it gives all the recommendations that go along with the results of your profile. Um, the book, Discover Your Child's Learning Style, also has um, the profiles in that, which you would just make copies for your own family if you want that option. Um, then our learning success writing and spelling programs are there too. We developed those specifically for the picture and tactile kinesthetic learners, in other words, the non-print learners. 
And the writing program is all about mapping that you mentioned before. It's an excellent um, technique. So you will see everything. We have a free newsletter there. Please take advantage of that. It comes once a month, and we have articles on uh, different learning style things that we write ourselves um, to give you tips and more strategies to teach your kids, as well as announcements of what we're doing or if we might be having a workshop. And we also review other materials and resources for you. Now, how much is it for the online profile? The online profile is $25 per person, um, and if you buy three or more, it's $20 per person. Now, that consulting that I had that was so valuable, how much is that? That is $250. And then that was for how many hours? It's where the consultant works directly with the parent to understand the profile and to apply it. Right. That's about an hour and a half that we do for the $250. So, uh, Mariana, I would I would love to put together uh, a group consulting uh, with our callers, uh, with your permission. And I just find it so valuable because you can learn from other people as well. Perhaps we can put together one of these teleclasses for about you know ten parents at a time, where they can come in and take the profile, and then have you come in and evaluate them all together because that would be uh, less expensive than doing it one by one. Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that, and it will be a lot of fun, and we can work it out so that they can get the online profiles as part of the package. Okay, so callers, if you're interested in that, uh, please send me an email to Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, at homeschool.com, and we'll work with Mary Emma, and we'll put together a group class because I just I believe so um, completely that this is essential. It's an essential start in our homeschooling our children is putting together this whole profile for them so that we understand them better and how they learn best and then that will make our homeschooling even more effective. Well, Mary Emma, thank you very much for being with us this past hour. Do you mind if we open up and perhaps uh, take a last question before we lose our time? Oh, that's fine. Okay. So callers, wow, a lot to think about in the last hour. I thought that learning modalities was only about being... um, you know, read a visual or a kinesthetic or an auditory. I didn't realize that it encompassed everything else, personality and uh, all these other aspects of learning. Does anyone have a specific question now for Mary Emma before she goes? Perhaps a question about uh, your child that you'd like to talk? Save $250. Ask your question now. It could be they have so much to think about they're not really sure what to ask. <laughs> well, plus sometimes when we get to have this many people on the call, it takes a while for the person's um, unmuted calls to filter in. Oh, right, in. right, right. So right. I think I hear I... a gentleman talking now. Do you have a question, sir? Yes. I'll yes, just... now scream into your mouthpiece, please, so that we can hear you. How does a teacher learn how to, once you identify the styles, put a lesson plan together so you can meet the needs of all the kids like you mentioned earlier in your talk. You mean a teacher in the classroom, or are you talking a about a parent at home for all your students? In a class, I mean class. In a reference that if you were teaching to the child's learning style, uh-huh. every child in the classroom would have their needs met. Yes. And how do I design the lesson plan and get it all done for the five classes I have to teach? Okay, well, Mary Emma, let me repeat that, please, because it's such an excellent question. Many, okay. of the, many of our homeschooling parents are teachers. And okay. uh, in our interview, you alluded, you said, boy, it's not that hard to put together to understand every child's uh, learning right. style, even in a classroom setting. So can you tell him how that is so easy to do and how he can do that for his students? 
Sure, and you know, I, I will also talk to you a little bit more offline if if you're interested, because it's kind of a big big question. But pretty simply, if you have identified several of the groups, and you you do need to know, you cannot meet every single need every single minute of the day in your classroom or anywhere else. But when students know that the teacher is wanting to meet their needs, magical things happen. So you start with, for instance, let's say you are doing social studies, um, and there are classrooms across the country who might actually have a little video playing in the corner. And the, the kids who are the picture learners go watch, um, you know, the, um, I can't even think right now of a book, but, so, you know, something in literature, um, Huckleberry Finn, I don't know, whatever you're working on, they go over there and they watch the video. There might be some kids um, with tapes hearing the book on tape. Or someone that is a great reader who loves to read out loud could be reading it out loud for those kids who need to hear it. Um, somebody else might be looking in books and drawing pictures. Now, I know that at first teachers think, oh, this is chaos, but it's not. Every single classroom that does it, when the kids are having their own needs met, they do what they're supposed to do, and it is just magical. And they also learn about how each of them is different, and then they come together to, you know, bring in what each of them has learned. So it's kind of like a little company where the uh, smart company uses the talents and gifts and the way that everybody does things differently to contribute to the company. So one person is bringing a chart and somebody has drawn pictures and somebody does a verbal report and so on. So this is just one example. There are many, many other things that you can do in a classroom. Once you learn how to do this, you actually have less work to do because you become like the facilitator and you stand back and they're all doing their own learning, and you just kind of circulate. And this is when you are the most effective. You can give them um, strategies. Now, did you ever think of doing this, or how about this? And then you really are teaching. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you very much. I'll You're contact welcome. you offline. Okay. Well, thank you. So anyone who would like to, our recording is ending, so I want to uh, end it, give it good closure and <laughs> end it nicely. But anyone who would like to stay on the call, Mary Emma has very generously uh, offered to stay on and speak with people one-on-one. -on -one. So um, thank you very much, Mary Emma, for your time this last hour. And uh, folks who would like to have uh, a group evaluation of your child's learning style, please write to Rebecca at homeschool.com, and we will put that together for you. And then anyone who'd like to stay now, feel free to uh, chat with Mary Emma. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. Thank you. I, I learned a lot. I thought I knew all about learning styles, and my oh, goodness, great. I realized I've only scratched the surface. <laughs> well, great. I've been humbled. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you.